Craig. I'm the minister in training here at the church. Let me add my welcome onto David's uh, as well tonight. And as we heard, we're starting a new series looking in 1 Kings. Basically, that'll work that if your name's not David Robertson or Sinclair Ferguson, you're preaching, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings together. But what's the book all about? Well, 1 and 2 Kings, one book originally, great book. Absolutely fall in love with it. It's a book all about the rise and fall of the monarchy. The rise and fall of the monarchy of ancient Israel, starting with the golden age we see beginning tonight and next week. The age formed from David into, into Solomon. But then we see his decline. The splitting of the kingdom into north and south. The north being conquered by Assyria. The south being taken over by Babylon. But one kings isn't just a history book. It's also a sermon. A sermon not just for the Jews, but for all of God's people, for all time. See, the book is there to teach us as God's people where it all went wrong. Here's three things I think 1 Kings will teach us as we look at it. It'll teach about God and about God's people. Well, it's going to teach us the sort of king that we need. We need a king who's in charge of us. Many of us perhaps don't like the idea. Someone ruling over us. Perhaps we think of somebody who's a tyrant, untrustworthy. Somebody, to be honest, who's a bit incompetent. Then the other side of that is everyone doing their own thing. Well, that's just anarchy. It's a horror film. All of us need a king. And we're going to see as the weeks go by the sort of king that we have. Because all of us have a king. His name is Jesus. And One Kings is a book all about King Jesus. We'll also see the importance, sorry, we'll see as well the kingdom, what it looks like to live in, in Jesus' kingdom. We set in part now in the church, but especially when Jesus returns. And we'll see also the importance of sticking with God's words in difficult times. See, as we go through the book, we'll see that the kings, they, they failed to do that. They didn't stick with it. They bottled it when pressure got hard from surrounding nations. They gave away small successions, which led to dire consequences. Lives were uncertain, unstable, because they didn't live following God's word. And so as we go through this amazing book, what we'll see is two main characters coming to the fore. We're going to see the king and the word of God. Seems a bit strange that, doesn't it? We, we get the king being a character, but the word of God being a character, that, that feels a bit weird for us. But before we start, if I was to summarize the book for us in one sentence, I'm going to copy what Andy said when he preached on One Kings earlier. If I was to summarize the book in one sentence, it'd be this. If we as God's people are to experience God's blessing... We need to follow a king who will perfectly follow God's word. That's what the book's all about. That's what we're going to see every time we look at one kings. And to be honest, we know the answer to this. Who is our king? It's King Jesus. He is the one who does this perfectly. He is our savior, but he's also our king. And what we see in our passage, as you've read... God is making sure his king is going onto the throne. We've got a lot to do tonight. We've got two chapters. That's fine. David did three this morning, so we're in good company today. So let me pray, 
And then let's get stuck into these opening chapters of Kings. Lord Jesus, you are the king on the throne. Speak to us tonight, we ask, by your spirit as we look at your word. May we learn more about you. And so rejoice in you more and seek to obey you better. We ask all these things for your glory and for our joy in you. Amen. Let's have a look at the first four verses where we look at the everlasting king. Let's be honest, that's got to be the strangest opening to any book in the Bible. Stuart, thank you so much for reading that. You saved me a favor. It is a weird, weird passage. What's going on? Well, we meet here the great King David. He's old, he's got bad circulation, electric two-bar fires, they weren't invented yet, and David just can't get himself warm. So what's the obvious solution to that in some people's eyes? Well, have a beauty contest because a hot water bottle just won't do. The whole thing is just bizarre. Let's be honest about that, especially with David's past as well. And here's a lesson for us as we begin. This is narrative. Students, I know heating can be expensive. Don't follow this route. This is narrative. It's not saying do it. It's just describing what happened. But let's not get caught up in the weirdness of it. Let's think, who is doing this? King David, this once great king. A man who who killed lions with his hands. A man who defeated armies. He killed Goliath. He protected and nurtured sheep. And now we find him weak, cold, powerless. He isn't what he once was. I guess in many ways, some of us might feel like that. We're just not what we once were. See, David may not be this great warrior he once was, but he's still God's king. His identity isn't based on his, his achievements or his activities. Rather, his identity is based on something given to him by God. And here we find this great leader about to bow out. He's not going to reign forever. So who is going to fill the void? See, we trust that God's in complete control. He said that someone from David's family will reign on the throne forever. But that's not going to be David. And actually, you see, it doesn't negate David's role as choosing a successor. We see that later on in the chapter. See, if God's blessings to his people are all tied up in God's king, if we today want to know these blessings then we need a king who's not going to grow old. A king who isn't going to become frail. We need a king that isn't reliant upon others. We need a king who's always faithful to his work. A king who won't die leaving instability and certainty. See, David is not the king we need. But thankfully, he's not the king we have. We need King Jesus eternal king. Let's see what else we learn about God's kingly criteria. We see that we need an eternal king and we need a chosen king. Who is going to fill the void left by David? Who's going to replace him? But what we saw in those verses was a scene very similar, you might have noticed, to actually the kings we looked at this morning, David and Saul. We've got two potential kings, Adonijah in the red corner. 
Solomon in the blue corner, both sons of Solomon, both having claims on the throne. How is it all going to pan out? Well, look at verses 5 to 10, where we look at Adonijah. He's a handsome guy. He's a good-looking guy. He's older than Solomon. He can get a crowd behind him. He gets 50 men, horses, chariots. He gets support from his officials. He goes and makes sacrifices, and he has a party to celebrate. But don't miss what else is said about him. Have a look at verse 5. He exalts himself. I will be king. Verse 6. He was never disciplined by his father. See, David's still king. He's still alive at this point. It's his job to appoint a successor. But that doesn't seem to bother Adonijah. Here is a man, I guess, who's capable of leading people. He's, he's a good communicator. He's confident. He's the next in line after Absalom. He's got initiative. He sees an opportunity, so he takes it. Or he could say he's keen to serve. He may have all the right giftedness, but he lacks godliness. He might have all the right competencies, but he lacks character. See, Adonijah thinks that he deserves to be king, and that he can be king, so he should be king. He exalts himself instead of laying down his life for others. And when we meet somebody like this, it can be tempting to overlook the negatives. Because the positives are so good. Think of all the people he got behind him. A lot of the people in Israel do this. They just want a king, and they get this guy. He seems good and have a huge party. Adonijah, to be honest, is probably the king that they want. And if we're honest, he's probably the sort of king that we would want. That's Adonijah. He's in the red corner. Let's look at Solomon in the blue corner in verses 11 to 30. He's a different guy, isn't he? What's the key difference here? with Solomon's claim to the throne. I wonder if you notice verse 30, the last verse Stuart read for us. Basically, David announces him as saying, he's God's king. Now, now how did David get to this bold claim? Well, in verse 11, we meet the first time the prophet Nathan, don't we? He's a prophet well known to David and this man of God he's not on board with, that, with Adonijah's power play so he goes out giving David a gentle kick to get him going I wonder if you noticed how he did it he spoke first to Bathsheba's wife who then goes to David then Nathan says I'll come in and back you up and we'll double team David so don't think they're trying to manipulate him here but rather trying to stir him into action just notice how Bathsheba honours David she bows down before him. She lays out plainly all that has happened. And in verse 20, she reminds him, all the eyes are on you. It's your job to appoint this new king. Then Nathan comes in, speaking respectfully to David. See, he may no longer be as mighty as he is, David, but he's still God's king. He's still the king, so he demands to be respected. And Nathan, Nathan didn't have to be there, I guess, but he could be there, so he was there. I think it's striking how this, this one non-royal, Nathan, he does what he can. 
He does what he can, and in so doing, preserves the life of Bathsheba, preserves the life of Solomon, preserves the kingdom. And this conversation with Bathsheba from verse 28, it's just a, a beautiful picture, I think. This woman who was the lust of David's heart goes in to the king. This woman who was the lust of, of David's heart and whose husband was murdered by David, she now has the ear of the king. She now has safety in him. There's no mistake that David's a flawed king, is there? But here we see one of his greatest flaws, encouraging him to be faithful. He needs help to finish well. Let me summarize what happens in the rest of the chapter. Solomon, like David, he's not the oldest brother. We know that. But Solomon, like David, becomes king. David says the word to be king in verse 30, and he sends out Zadok the priest. Nathan the prophet goes out to anoint him, and they make it so. They make him the king. And check out the street party in verse 40 of chapter 1. There's such rejoicing in Jerusalem. Even the ground is shaking. They're so happy. And we see in verses 45 and 47 that he's got the backing of Jerusalem behind him. And look at verse 46 in the middle. He takes his seat on the royal throne. But panic comes in the red corner. Panic comes in the camp of Adonijah. They who sat so confident, sat so sure that Adonijah was going to be their king, are now alarmed. So Adonijah goes to the altar. He clings to it, terrified for his life and what Solomon's going to do to him. Solomon says that if he'll show himself worthy, then he won't put him to death. So Adonijah says that he'll submit to him. I wonder, is this just lip service? Or does he actually mean it? Let's pause and just think about what's happened. Because a lot has just happened. Adonijah's got a lot of good things going for him. If you were sent his CV to be king, you'd be pretty impressed with him. He'd be our man, wouldn't he? And yet Solomon is king. Why is that? Is it because of the conversation with Nathaniel and Bathsheba? Is it because of the words of David in verse 30? Is it because of the backing of Jerusalem? Or is it because Solomon was the one to sit down on the throne? Which one was it? Why is Solomon king? Well, in the province of God, it's all of it, isn't it? All of them are needed. But behind all of these individual actions working together, David recognizes there's another hand at work here. Have a look at verse 48. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. Solomon is king because he is God's king. But Solomon, like David before him, he's going to die. We need a king who is appointed by God. We need a king who will never die. And that someone is Jesus a king who's going to reign eternally as God's own king. Let's move on into chapter 2. 
Let's listen in on on David's final conversation we have recorded as he lays out for Solomon what is God's chosen king supposed to do. We see he's supposed to be an obedient king. Have a look at two wonderful. Well, let me read them actually. They're a key, probably the key passage in the whole book, I think. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. What does Solomon tell David to do here? He says, king up Solomon. What does that mean? Well, David tells us it means to be obedient to God's word. To lead others in that. David tells Solomon he is to walk in God's ways and to drive that home. He says every single part of it, the decrees, the command, the laws, the regulations, everything written in the law of Moses. And in you doing that, Solomon, you'll know the blessings of God. The point is simple, isn't it? If Solomon and Israel are to enjoy God's blessings, Solomon must fully obey God's word. Because as the king goes, so goes the people. Something we're going to see over and over again in the book. As goes the king, so goes the people. Let's imagine you're on Solomon's cabinet. He comes in to the first cabinet meeting and he says, right team, new program. Let's stuff the trade agreements. Let's not butter up our allies. Let's cancel the new chariots. What we need to be secure as a nation is to be obedient to the law of Moses. That's a bold thing for him to say, isn't it? See, only a king who recognizes that they rule under a greater king can say such a daring thing. See, these four verses here unlock the whole book of Kings. So as I said at the start, if we as God's people are to experience God's blessing, we need to follow a king who will perfectly follow God's word. And will Solomon do that? Will all those who come afterwards do that? Well, we know the answer, don't we? They didn't. They gave in to sin. They bottled it when it was hard. They made small successions which led to dire consequences. And so they lost God's blessing. Because as the king goes, so goes the people. But the principle still stands for us though. If we as God's people today are to experience God's blessing, we need to follow a king who will perfectly follow God's word. And this is who we have in Jesus. The one who came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The one who said he only ever did what his father told him to do. And so the one in whom all of God's promises are yes and amen. We need a king who will perfectly follow God's word, and that is what we have in Jesus. So in him we experience all of God's blessings. Because as the king goes, so goes the people. 
God's king is to reign forever. God's king is to be chosen by him. God's king is to be obedient. And God's king is also to be a warrior. Don't worry, we're not going to read all of these verses. But to let me summarize, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen the end of the film, The Godfather? But you weren't expecting that on a Sunday evening. The film ends with this. You've got Don Vito Corleone. He dies and he gives orders to the next Don, Michael, to go out and to kill five families. And if we were to read this passage, it feels uncomfortably similar to that. David's on his deathbed and he tells Solomon to go out and to kill two people. The first, Joab, the commander of David's army. At times he's trying to do his own things. It's a bit dangerous. And the second Shimei in verse 8, he cursed David, threw stones at David. It's pretty wild, the rest of this chapter. What's different here from the Corleone family godfather is that these men talking, they're not, they're not mafia bosses. They're God's appointed kings talking to one another. And part of their job as king is to rule justly, to enact justice. In fact, to be against one of these men was to be against God. But just as it was for all the king then, and the government today to act justly, so they are also to reward good. We see this in verse 7. This man Barzillia is honored for helping David when he fled from Absalom. See, God's king is to be a warrior king. Someone who will fight. 1 Kings 2 ends with Solomon killing this man Shimei. And look at the last verse of the chapter. Then the king commanded Benai, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck, down, struck him down, that is Shimei, and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. It's a bit of a, it's quite hard to read, isn't it? A man dies, and then the kingdom is established. But to be honest, this, this principle as well runs into the New Testament. Jesus said, if you aren't for me, then you're against me. So what Jesus was a bit soft, he's, he's all about forgiveness. You might think, well, yes, he is about forgiveness. He's very patient with us. But his throne is going to be established the same way as Solomon's. He warns us that when he returns, he'll send out his angels and he'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. See, which king are we trusting in for our safety? Are we a friend or enemy of this man, King Jesus? Are we like Shimei or, or, or Adonijah, exalting ourselves as king, seeking to do our own thing? Or are we willing to submit to King Jesus, the king who will reign forever, the king who is God's chosen king, the king who will fully obey the word of God and who will always fight for good? Is this the king we're bowing, bowing down to? Or are we seeking ourselves to reign? See, however we answer that is going to shape the rest of our lives. But as we close, let's take stock on what we've seen in these opening chapters. 
Here we see at the beginning, God is putting his king on the throne. But we see in these chapters that we need this everlasting king who's going to reign forever. A king obedient to God's word, a warrior king. See, this is what God's king looks like. This is what the people of Israel needed in their monarchy if they were to know the blessing of God. But David wasn't enough. Solomon wasn't enough. The Jews needed another king. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. If you've got church Bibles, 967. And let me read for us from verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. See, here is the king we need. We need the everlasting king, the eternal Son of God. So that means we don't need to worry about who's truly in charge at any time. We need God's chosen king, the one with whom he is well pleased, so we know he's always the best man to be king. We need the obedient king, the one we're told to listen to. So it means that following him is always, no matter how it looks, best for our lives. We need this king, the warrior king, the one who goes out and fights for his people in the wilderness. Because he did this, because he went to the cross, we can rest knowing our salvation is won. Death has been defeated. Satan will one day be banished. See, here in 1 Kings, God is establishing his king on the throne. And in Matthew's gospel, we see God's true king, his final king coming to establish his throne. And what a king he is. And as we go through kings, we'll see even more and more how great a king the Lord Jesus is. He is the king we're to submit to because he is God's chosen king. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we rejoice that you are the everlasting king. That you are the true king chosen by the Father. You are the obedient king, the one who always does the will of the Father, the one who came to fulfill the law. You are the warrior king, the one who died on the cross in our place, defeating death, conquering Satan. And so we submit to you. For you are God's true king. You are the one who reigns over all. Forgive us, we ask for times when we try to exalt ourselves as king. Help us to live lives under you, submitting ourselves to you. We ask all these things for your glory, Lord Jesus, and for our joy in you. Amen.